Hello, hello. Good morning. You're probably listening to this at two in the morning like I am. <laughs> no? No. Whatever time you're listening to this, I'm excited for this show. Yeah. Are you? Totally. Are you? Yeah. Welcome to Goopfellas. Hey, man. What's up, Will? Not much. How are you doing? I'm great. Do you like artichokes? I, can I be honest? I yeah. don't love artichokes. What? Yeah, I don't. I, I could take or leave them. I I mean, I'd, I don't hate artichokes, but G-T-F-O-H, I don't love them. G-T-F-O-H, my friend. I know, man. I have a, and I have an awesome artichoke recipe in Ketotarian, and I don't even, it's not my favorite. Are it's, you serious? I don't know if we can be friends anymore. I'm sorry, man. You know, I it, have an artichoke tattooed on my chest. You do? Yeah. Why? Do you just like the look of it? What's the deal? What's the Fuck meaning no, behind man. this? <laughs> the artichoke is like, listen, okay, here's the, here's the deal. I'm going to, I'm going to change your mind. Just okay. get ready for it. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm well, first of all, about this. the artichoke is the poet warrior of the vegetable kingdom. Okay. Uh, you know, as it, there's Pablo Neruda wrote a beautiful poem called Ode to the Artichoke. And it's about the life journey of an artichoke from the field to the market, to the basket, to the pot of boiling water. And it, I just think it's an amazing, well, first of all, for me, an artichoke, one, is very healthy. It's prebiotic. It's got That's all sorts true. of great stuff. Uh, the the history of an artichoke, if you think about the first person that decided they were going to eat a thistle, they had to have been really fucking hungry <laughs> because that thing is not very, it's not like looking at a jelly donut. Like no. you look at that and you're like, oh yeah, I want to put that purple prickly thing in my mouth. Yeah. And then uh, the next thing, which to me is also extremely important is that to clean it and cook it properly requires a tremendous amount of skill. So when I was hiring cooks in my restaurants, I'd always give them an artichoke and say, all right, let me see. Can you turn this artichoke? Can you can you really clean this artichoke and cook it for me? And that's the, the difference between a really good, wow. you know, someone who who's a, pays attention to detail and someone who just is a hack. I did opinion. not know you loved artichokes this much. Yeah, but don't. These are fighting words, my friend. Yeah. Okay. Can we, cook, can we find a common ground in an avocado? Is that... Oh yeah, but come is on, that, that's cliche. Is that doable? Oh, that's easy. Avocados yeah. are easy. They're like a, a a blank canvas. Yeah, I'm I'm easy. I think that's why I like avocados. All right, <laughs> easy like an avocado. You know who else loves avocados? I do is know who else loves our avocado. <laughs> beautiful, wonderful guest, our friend Melissa Hartwick. You know, Melissa I'm, Hartwick. Let's just say this: Melissa Hartwick Urban. She's reclaiming her name. So yeah, let's call it that. Yeah, Melissa's awesome. She's the founder of Whole30, which I'm sure everyone's heard of. She's also two inches taller than I am, which means she's seven inches taller than Will. Um, <laughs> she's <laughs> she's an incredible athlete, but she's also just an amazingly inspirational, wonderful human being who's got incredible hair. I don't know if she you does. follow her on Instagram. She's always doing wild stuff with her hair. Her hair has its own Instagram, I think. Yeah, At least it its own does. hashtag, yeah. Yeah. I recently, I got to hang out with her and have dinner with her in, um, in Utah. I was in Utah not too long ago. And I only had a few, I mean, like I literally had like two hours and she we met me for dinner. We had an amazing dinner. And then she did something that nobody in New York ever does. She drove me to the airport. It's super nice. Oh my God. It was the best. She's an awesome person. She, she's great. Hugely inspirational, has gone through an amazing journey and has really been able to to carve out this incredible program that I think resonates with so many people and has changed literally 
millions of people's lives. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, who hasn't done a Whole30 or heard somebody do the Whole30? I mean, this is the creator of Whole30 yeah. right here. It's, uh, I, it's funny. I was talking to my friend Jenny last year. Um, uh, shout out to Jenny Dirksen from No Kid Hungry, amazing woman. She, We were talking about Whole30, and she's like, you know, when I did Whole30, the first week was terrible. The second week was not so bad. The third week was easy. And by the fourth week, I literally could walk through walls and climb on the ceiling. <laughs> And I was like, yeah, that's that's pretty much what happens when you recalibrate your diet. Yeah. And I love this conversation because she talks beyond food, which is great, and we talk about it, but also the growth of Whole30 from a business standpoint and what she sees and what she, you know, did she see this way that it is today, this sort of cultural phenomenon. But also she talks about accessibility of wellness, which I mm-hmm. love that part of the conversation. So um, I'm really excited and I want you guys all to hear it. So why not get into our conversation with... Melissa Hartwig Urban. So I just want to jump in, and we we were talking about transformation, and you went through an insane process. You was just a girl from New Hampshire, and tell us how you went from being this, you know, this this girl from New Hampshire, to the incredible woman that you are living in Salt Lake City, doing all the stuff that you do. Tell us about it. I love that you're applying a Massachusetts accent. No, to it's New a Vermont. Hampshire. I'm from Vermont. I would like so to point out that is a. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, All right, I'll yeah. let it slide then. Yeah. I was trying to give I it a little it. like was... southern flair, like Massachusetts yeah. flair to make it sound more New Hampshire. <laughs> yeah, I was born and raised in New Hampshire. I lived there my whole life. My parents were married until I was in college. My mom stayed home with us. It was a, you know, I close with my sister, close with my family. This whole journey with Whole30 started, I guess, as a result of some not fantastic situations, right? So I was Mm -hmm. 16. I was sexually abused by a family member. It was the worst thing that had ever happened, and I didn't know how to handle it and process it. Mm -hmm. I grew up in a really big Catholic family where if you didn't talk about it, it didn't exist. And so, you know, I didn't talk about I didn't tell anyone for a really long time. When I did tell people, nobody handled it well. You know, nobody knew how to handle it. And I think everyone did the best they could. And so from that experience, I really was looking for a way to escape my own life, just to, to numb and to quiet and to to sort of bury it. And I call it kind of eat it or swallow the experience. And when I was a freshman in college, I found drugs. Mm-hmm. And that really did the trick for me. It mm-hmm. worked really, really well to completely take me outside of my life. And I dove in head first, like both feet. Mm-hmm. And up until then, I had had no experience. I mean, I didn't, I had, you know, maybe touched alcohol a few times, but I didn't have experience with it. I had never tried a drug. I had never smoked a cigarette. Like, I was a straight A, pretty nerdy kid. So I found this, you know, this thing to take me away from my trauma. And I spent the next basically five years as an addict. Who turned and, you on to drugs first? Who introduced you to drugs? Uh, Like a friend in college who you know, had some pot and was like, hey, I went to visit him at school and he was like, do you want to try pot? And I was like, sure. And for him, it was just a recreational thing that he did once in a while. And for me, it was the answer to everything. It was Mm -hmm. exactly what I had been searching for. And from there, it just sort of took off. I kind of joke that I only, you know, dated drug dealers for five years because they had access to everything (laughs) and I wanted to do it all at the same time. Mm -hmm. So... You know, that that was my backstory. I spent mm. where about was, five years kind of bouncing. Where did the addiction take you? What was your wake-up call then? 
I mean, I had a lot. I think you use this thing, whatever it is, whether it's drugs or alcohol or whatever your coping mechanism is, I used it to take me away from the trauma. And it worked for a little while, but then it also became a thing, like a problem layered Mm -hmm. on top of the trauma. So, you know, it didn't take very long for me to stop having fun with it. And I'm using quotey fingers for fun and start having to just like maintain. And I was very functional when I used. I maintained a job. I had an apartment. My family didn't really know. A lot of my friends didn't know how bad it was. Like I was a very good, I was coping very, very well. But it wasn't long before the wheels started to fall off the bus. You can only numb and medicate and maintain that air of normalcy for so long. And, you know, I had one experience in particular. I was starting to have panic attacks. The man I was living with who didn't know the extent of my drug use was definitely starting to suspect. My family was starting to suspect. I had a family dinner mm-hmm. where that I don't remember where apparently I behaved terribly. And... There just came a moment where I was sitting on the couch. I had just been paid. I had like my two weeks paycheck sitting in my bank account. And my live-in boyfriend said, like, you either go get help or I'm leaving because I can't watch you do this to yourself. Mm -hmm. And I just sat on that couch thinking I could just go blow all my money on heroin Mm -hmm. and that would be it. And by a moment of divine intervention, like straight up God, I said, let's get me some help. And he Mm -hmm. called the rehab facility he found in the phone book and they happened to have a bed that night and off we went. It's so, so what was that path for you? You said, I need help. And where'd you go? I went to a rehab facility, a private one in Southern New Hampshire. I was inpatient for a few weeks while I detoxed. They, you know, I was, I did psychotherapy. I did, I went to AA or NA meetings and then I did, I was inpatient, I think, for about three weeks. And then mm-hmm. I did outpatient for about six weeks where I went in every single night for like four hours a night and did this outpatient kind of group therapy. And luckily, my job before I went into rehab was for an insurance company. So I had excellent insurance, thank goodness, which allowed me to get far more treatment than most people do. And and I stayed clean for a year. I went to my meetings. I kind of white knuckled my way through it. Mm-hmm. And I stayed clean for a year, and then I relapsed. What drove the relapse? What happened? I, nothing. Nothing drove it. Just I went boredom? to a party. No, I, I, I honestly remember it as I'm at a party in the bathroom. I pull my head up from the sink and look in the mirror, and I have something dripping down the back of my throat. Like, I don't know. I don't even know what I snorted. It happened so fast. And I think the thought process, had I stopped to think about it, was I'm a year clean. I'm so much better. I've gone to all these meetings. It's going to be different now. I can handle it now. I don't, I don't think any addict is immune to those thoughts. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I relapsed. And, I, and you pick up right where you left off. Mm-hmm. And it took me only a few weeks before I said to myself, I can't. Like, I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. And I checked myself back into outpatient rehab, and that's when I got clean for the last time. And that was almost 19 years ago. Mm-hmm. Well, how did you go from the Melissa journey? How did you go from that to athlete? Because there's like a major change and shift in your life where you go from abusing yourself to taking incredibly, incredibly good care of yourself. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's been a 19-year span When I got clean the second time, I realized that I had to change everything about my life in order to stay clean. All I had done before was just I had stopped using drugs. Mm -hmm. And that's a necessary first step, but I hadn't done anything else. Mm -hmm. And it's not enough just to, like, do the thing. 
I had to do so much more to stay clean. I adopted a growth mindset. I told myself every single day that I was a healthy person with healthy habits. I started going to the gym. I started paying attention to what I ate. I changed my clothes. I changed the music I listened to. I moved apartments. I got a new group of girlfriends who I met at the gym every morning. Like, I changed everything Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. shore up this idea that, like, I wasn't some worthless, hopeless addict. Mm -hmm on Goop, they've talked about orthorexia and exercise addiction. What's your perspective? Obviously, these are healthy habits, working out, eating clean. What do you tell somebody that is an addict and they go from one to the other to not make that better thing or even a good thing, another source of stress and anxiety and and a problem? That's a really good and not easy question to answer. Here's my perspective. It's incredibly difficult to leave one addiction and not try to fill that void with something Mm -hmm. else. And I don't think it's necessarily problematic to fill it with something that can eventually be a very healthy habit, like exercise, Mm -hmm. which is certainly what I did. You know, I was going to the gym like twice a day, three hours a day, but I was also working my program incredibly actively. I was in therapy constantly. I was talking about my trauma for the first time in my life. I was talking with friends. I was eating well. I was, you know, sleeping more and being more social and being outside more. And in that environment, my, you know, kind of transference of addiction to exercise, like can't thrive. Right. And so I naturally, very gradually, very organically metered myself there and eventually not not too long found a very healthy balance i mean it's so hard i have a really good friend who who who's an addict he's been clean now for four years but for a long time he would yo-yo where he'd be an addict and he would be super unhealthy and overweight and then he would get into exercise he'd get clean and he'd be doing really really well and one thing would just tip him off of the the pattern of of, of exercise and it would just be a downward spider and you throw it all out and you'd go back to using Yes, because it's not enough just to do the thing. Exactly. You can't give up drugs and just start exercising and think that that's going to be like the support beam that holds you up. So you Mm -hmm. need all of these other support beams in your life so that should something happen and you get injured or you get sick and you can't exercise, you have all of these other buffers to help remind you that you are a healthy person with healthy habits and to distance you from those addictive behaviors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that's that's part of what I really love about the Whole30 program, what you've created with Whole30, is that you have created this notion, a structure of something that's achievable. It's not like saying, hey, we're going to take on the world and change your whole life right now. It's saying, there, here's a digestible 30 days that you can you know, adopt some new healthy habits. You can take 30 days for caring for yourself. And I think ultimately, you and I have talked about this. I mean, I've done Whole30 a bunch of times, but I really am like doing whole life because that's kind of how I live my life all the time. And and doing those periods of times of change help you kind of create these new patterns of behavior that are lifelong patterns. And I mean, I just, I love that. Can you talk to us a little bit about how the evolution of Whole30 and how you, where it came from and how you've seen it impact other people's lives? Yeah, I mean, that's a huge question, certainly. I share my addiction story, my recovery story so freely because I never had, uh, I've never struggled with my body weight. I wasn't addicted to food. I never had an eating disorder. But by sharing my addiction and recovery story, 
I basically am able to make a connection with the Whole30 community. I fully believe that drugs and food are not that different from a psychological perspective. You know, the way we crave and mm-hmm. overconsume and numb and use it to fill voids and the isolation that it brings and the stress that it brings and how much we hate ourselves for doing it. But we continue to do the very thing that we hate ourselves for, which leads to more cravings and more stress. Like, am I mm-hmm. talking about food or am I talking about drugs? It's mm-hmm. the same cycle. And for me, the whole 30 began almost 10 years ago as a self-experiment. I was very into CrossFit at the time as part of, again, my, my sort of growth mindset, fitness and health journey. And I wanted to see if this super squeaky clean kind of dietary experiment, like just taking out the last 20% of stuff in my diet that I knew wasn't probably healthy for me, if that was going to help my athletic recovery and performance. And what that 30 days showed me, very surprisingly, were all of the ways that I was using food like I used to use drugs Mm -hmm. as reward, as punishment, to self-soothe, to relieve anxiety, to numb my emotions. And it was such an eye-opening and powerful experience that I decided to share it on my personal training blog. And that was really the birth of the Whole30 was my own experience Mm -hmm. realizing how food was so impactful in so many ways. It's not just the food. Mm -hmm. And then really wanting everyone else to kind of have that same experience if they wanted to. Yeah. So then why why no sex with your clothes on? (laughs) (laughs) Sex with your pants on. Sex with your pants on. Swipo. That, I came up with that analogy on the fly in a workshop like 10 years ago, and it just stuck. Mm-hmm. I think the thing that makes the Whole30 different than any other program out there is this one rule that we have. You know, the Whole30 has, it's a self-experiment based on the foundation of an elimination diet. So you pull out foods that are very commonly problematic, and then you reintroduce them at the end and compare your experience. But one of the rules is that you're not allowed to make junk food. Mm -hmm. baked goods or treats with technically compliant ingredients. There are ways to make whole 30, and I'm quoting fingers again, compliant, you know, like pancakes or muffins or cookies or brownies, Mm -hmm. all these different workarounds. But those are the same foods that we are using to reward and self-soothe and show love and relieve anxiety and numb our emotions. And in until we have the complete absence of those foods, which forces us to find other ways to perform self-care, we're never going to have the impetus to stop using foods in that way because yeah. it's too easy, it's too accessible, it's too socially acceptable, and it's too rewarding. And pe- people can overdo it too much, and they their center is completely off, and then they're having that you know paleo muffin or something like that. I think it's a great tool just from a functional medicine standpoint something that i'm so glad that you put it in this in the program because people do rely too much on that addictive healthy food uh so that's definitely brilliant did melissa looking back did you expect did you see the growth of what whole 30 is now it's a worldwide phenomenon did you ever expect would be this big more what we have a huge chunk of our society when they say what diet are you going to do it's whole 30 it's its own class I mean, no, of course not. Of course not. And it's when you're in the middle of something and I feel like we still have so much work to be done and I'm still so passionate about, you know, creating resources and making it more accessible. My head is down and I'm in with my community and I'm listening and we're responding. And I very rarely allow myself to like stop and take a step back and look at what we've built and the impact that we've had. This is nothing that I could have foreseen 
Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. nothing. You know, I wanted to share it on my CrossFit training blog. <laughs> and a few hundred people back in 2009 were like, I want to try that. And I was like, cool, I'll help you through it. And yeah. now to see where it's grown and, and what it's become. And, and again, the impact, not just societally, but like at the biggest level, at the food producer level, yeah. I mean, is it's really insane. remarkable. I was, in, I was in Whole Foods yesterday and I was just amazed to mm-hmm. see how many foodstuffs are out there now on the, on, on, in the frozen food section, in the sauce section, and you know, throughout the, the entire, one of the biggest grocery stores in the country, all of these Whole30 approved foods. And I mean, I think it's really cool because it's, you're, you're making it very, very digestible for people to go out there and make good decisions about their food. And, and what I love what you're doing also, Melissa, is you're making it accessible. You're, you're kind of talking to the average person that says, well, eating healthy is super expensive. You're showing them, hey, I mean, isn't there Whole30 approved things at Walmart now? And Chipotle has a, mm-hmm. a Whole30 bowl. I mean, really great stuff. What made you want to make eating healthy more accessible what was what drove that passion i mean the whole 30 program has always been available for free the entirety of the program has been and will always be free you don't need to buy a thing except for the food that you're going to eat to do the program and that's always been really important to me i want everyone who wants to have the experience to be able to have the experience that's how powerful i think it can be that's how transformational i think it can be and so accessibility has always been something that's been really important to me. I think in the last five years, as we've seen the explosion of Whole30 convenience products, you know, Primal Kitchen Mayo and uh, mayos and salad dressings and condiments and frozen meals, I think I have forgotten a little bit about accessibility in that, like, I've made it more accessible for people who can afford to spend $8 on a jar of mayo. Mm-hmm. But we need to provide more resources to people who are doing Whole30 on a budget so that at that you know, you don't have to have a fancy health food store. You don't have to spend money on condiments. Let me show you how you can make this stuff yourself. Let me show you how you can make your own emergency food as opposed mm-hmm. to, you know, buying snack sticks. Let me show you how you can do Whole30. We have Whole30 certified coaches who are sh- teaching people how to do Whole30 on WIC and SNAP, shopping at Walmart and Aldi. Like that's the that's the accessibility level mm-hmm. now where I'm working. We have tons of convenience foods and that's fantastic for people who have more money than time but let's now expand way beyond that and make whole 30 available to everyone who wants to do it what you're doing i mean i got to spend the weekend with you in utah with your whole 30 coaches and just seeing all these walks of lives able to go in their community and like you said how do you do whole 30 in costco and aldi and walmart it's really profound i think that grassroots mission that you have is going to it is it's changing our culture. I don't know. It's hard to see probably when you're in it, but you are changing the way that people see food and raising awareness. I, thank you. And I certainly hope so. You know, our Whole30 coaches, I feel like, are the future of the program in that, again, so much has been happening online over the last five years, right? The advent of social media and how important it is and Instagram. And now we have these online communities that are providing support and accountability and resources. And it's wonderful because the vast majority of people are doing Whole30 by themselves in their local community. But what we're missing is that face-to-face engagement, is that in-person social interaction, the stress-mediating response of meeting people face-to-face and sharing and connecting. And that's what the coaching program is all about. Let's create 
Whole30 hubs in your local community, bringing people together, bringing professionals and businesses and and community members together so that they can have both the online support, but also the benefits of this face-to-face engagement. You know, one of the things that, that I, I notice being in this world of health and wellness is that it's the the industry and the community is primarily it, it's primarily female focused. There is not a lot of male participation. Like they're 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 uh, you know there are not a lot of guys that are they're out there and doing a juice cleanse. Let's be honest. There's not a lot of guys that are out there and talking about the poop pill and et cetera. And it's, maybe they're driven there by the women in their lives. But one of the things that I have noticed is that, and, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like over the past few years there's been much more male traction with Whole30. Men, just like women, need to have a, have a healthy relationship with food. But I feel like guys have this kind of masculine fear of showing vulnerability and saying, no, it's, and it's okay to actually really dive into the relationship with food and I've got to just be a man and like, you know, it doesn't matter what I eat or whatever. And, and I feel like you've been able to bridge that gap. Has it, have you found that the demographic has shifted to be a more balanced demographic in recent times? It is shifting. I wouldn't say it's shifted yet. The diet industry in general, which I will reluctantly kind of lump myself into, is mm-hmm. primarily female. And given the in the research that I've done, I wouldn't say that men aren't doing the Whole30. What mm-hmm. I would say is that they're not visibly doing the Whole30 in that they're not on social media (laughs) asking for support and help. They're not, you know, in the forum connecting with other people. What we have found, though, is that I think you're right. You know, the calling out of toxic masculinity, all of the really good conversations that we're having now about you know, how men should, we should make them feel safe to to be vulnerable and to share their feelings. And like having an unhealthy relationship with food isn't just relegated to women. And it's not just about weight loss that, you know, men also have unhealthy relationships with food for various reasons. And it's mm-hmm. okay to address that and to talk about it and share that, I think has been very helpful in us changing the perspective. And, you know, we try to feature men's stories on our social media feed for representation. Like, you know, if you're a guy and you want to do the whole 30 because you want to increase your performance in the gym, cool. But if you also want to do it because you go home every night and can't stop eating sugar, you are welcome here too, because Mm -hmm. this is not just your problem, it's everyone's problem. Yeah. So and another component that I love about Whole30 Plus is this concept of food freedom. And that's like Whole30 is the beginning. It's the reset. It's the introduction to healthy living. But food freedom is, I would say, equally important, wouldn't you say? And can you kind of explain to everybody what food freedom is? Yes, I'm so glad you brought that up. The whole point of Whole30 is to get you to food freedom, where you have taken your Whole30 experience, you've learned about which foods do and don't work for you, you've decided from this experience, from this self-experiment, what's worth it, what you really want, how you can incorporate these foods back into your life in a way that feels healthy and balanced for you, and then you live your food freedom by according to your own rules. And if your food freedom includes rum and cokes once in a while or ice cream or like you get to decide Mm -hmm. and that is the whole point of whole 30 it's not whole 365 i don't want you doing program after program after program the whole point is to get you to food freedom and stay there and live it eventually it would be awesome if you never did a whole 30 again i want to work myself out of a job Because you've done the program, you've used the tool appropriately, you've learned so much about you and your relationship with food, and now you're just out there living it. Mm, It's great. That's so awesome. It's so much more sustainable. So, I mean, I'm imagining as a mom, this is something that you, because it's got to be tough. 
Is your kid the weirdo that goes to school with like homemade <laughs> lunches all the time and kids are laughing at him or, they, or is he training them on the black market and doing really well? So <laughs> he does go to school. You know, he's he's six now. This is his first year in school. Uh-huh. Um, he does go to school. I make his lunches and I make all his snacks and he's not. I think it's really interesting that you're like, is he the weirdo bringing this <laughs> stuff? Like we need to normalize yeah, the I idea. Know. It's my mission to normalize this because in, in grace and in love, not shaming the other people that are eating clean, but just look, this is my my baby girl, my son, you're loving your body enough to fill it with good things. This is not about making kids obsessed with eating or shaming other people that don't eat healthy, but just like you said, Melissa, we need as parents to normalize this as a culture. We do. And like, what does it say about our relationship with food as a society that sending my kid to school with like his, you know, ham and blackberries and seaweed snacks and plantains is weird, but shoving cupcakes in Mm -hmm. a bunch of six year olds faces in the middle of the day as part of like a weekly birthday celebration is totally normal. Mm-hmm. Like, it, I think it says something. And listen, yeah. when we do birthday celebrations, my kid goes to school and eats the cupcake. He doesn't have mm-hmm. an allergy. He doesn't have a sensitivity. So he goes and does it. But we have conversations about how that food impacts him, how it impacts yeah. him behaviorally, how maybe it makes his skin itchy. And like, we have these conversations. And nine times out of 10, he's choosing the stuff I make for him at home. Yeah. Just because something, I say this all the time, just because something's common doesn't make it normal. And these, yeah. it's, it's ubiquitous. Junk food's ubiquitous, but so is chronic health problems. And we want something better for yeah. our kids. We do. And I often, I very often see, and again, I say this lovingly, I very often see parents who are like projecting their own relationship with food onto their kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, man, I, I don't want my kid to grow up the way that I grew up. Well, I mean, I didn't have a terribly unhealthy relationship with food, but like if you're struggling with, you know, feeling like you're addicted to sugar and overeating and can't get out of this horrible cycle and you have this really unhealthy relationship with food, like I don't want my kid to go through that. Mm-hmm. I want them to have something better. Yeah. So we're, we're talking a lot about transformation on this podcast. It, I can't help but notice in the past year, you've gone through a very personal transformation and you are very open about sharing love in your life. I'd love to hear a little bit more about your man and how that's part of your journey. Yeah, I'm smiling all over my face right now. Um, he's actually been, his name is Brandon. He's actually been around for about two years, but you know, you both know that I am, I have very clear boundaries about sharing yeah. what is personal and what is intimate to borrow Brene Brown's phraseology. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't talk about him for a very long time. It wasn't until he was very solid in my life and settled in in our life as a family that I was willing to share. Um, you know, I, I over the last five years or so, since my divorce and business split, because my ex-husband was my original Whole30 co-founder, I'd been crushing it in business. I'd been crushing it in self-care. Um, you know, friends, my social circles, like everything was going so well, except for my dating life. Mm-hmm. And I tell this story about how I was dating a guy for a little while. And, you know, I travel a lot. My life is pretty public and I have things going. I, you know, I'm a single mom. And he broke up with me. And when he broke up with me, he said to me, you're really hard to date. And like, man, if I didn't pick that story up and like wear it like a shawl for the next two years. Mm-hmm. And um, and it really wasn't until I met Brandon and he said to me like, well, maybe for the wrong person that mm-hmm. I was able to see it 
I was able to like lose the story. And so, yeah, you know, he I've I've made space in my life for him and very organically and very, you know, slowly, like nobody's rushing anything, but mm-hmm. incorporating him into everything else that I have has made my life. I mean, I was good before. I was happy before. I was worthy before, but like my life is exponentially better now. I'm so happy for you. So exciting to see you be on this journey. And part of that is you reclaiming your maiden name. Can you tell everybody about that? It made waves on social media. I don't know if you know that or not. It did. Yeah, you know, Hartwig is my married name. And every single book I've ever written and all my media and like everything was under Hartwig. And so when we split up like four years ago, I said to my agent, I want to take my maiden name back. I want to go my birth name. I want to go back to Urban. And she and my publisher were both like, you kind of can't. Like, it's kind of professional, like, suicide to take Mm -hmm. your old name back. Like, you know, if you want to continue with, like, media and everything else. And so I thought, I was like, okay, you know, my son has that last name. Like, it's it'll be okay. Mm -hmm. But recently, I'd say about a year ago, I decided, like, no, this is right for my personal development. It is right for my growth. It's right for my worth. It's right for my family because it's right for me. And so I just like put a stake in the ground and I sent an email and I was like, this is happening and you guys need to figure out how to make it happen. And mm-hmm. everyone was very supportive and very understanding and and we're just kind of transitioning. So yeah, it will be done. That's right. That's so great. Well, Melissa, yeah. thank you so much for joining us. This has been an awesome conversation. You're such an inspiration to so many people and uh you keep keep posting those those morning things on on Instagram. I love watching your your Instagram stories. They're like my favorite stories on Instagram. And these are some of my favorite conversations. Oh, so thank thanks. you so much for having me. Yes. Thank you, thank you. Where can I mean I, everyone can find you very easily? But where's like one stop shopping for all things you? Yeah, so you can find Whole30 stuff at Whole30. That's really easy. And then I'm mostly active on Instagram. And for now, it's Melissa underscore Hartwig until I make that change to Urban. Cool. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for joining us in this incredible conversation with Melissa Hartwig Urban. I thought it was super interesting how I thought we were just going to talk about food, honestly. And this is another case of a food person and we didn't just talk about food. I mean, obviously we touched on it, but you know, Melissa really talked a lot about her struggle with addiction and how that kind of led to her purpose. And it's something that I've been reading a lot about addiction lately. Not, um, are you familiar with Gaber Mate? I am not. He's a he's a psychologist who does has done a lot of writing and research on addiction. And his definition of addiction is really interesting because he, you know, he he when he defines addiction, pretty much everyone qualifies as being an addict in some capacity. He sees this underlying um, this underlying trauma, whether it's childhood trauma, as being the driving force behind any kind of addiction, whether it's a addiction to a substance or to food or to mm-hmm. sex or to relationships. Um, and Melissa talks about her trauma and that was, you know, she talks about how that was definitely part of what led to her, her, uh, her struggle with substance. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, as somebody who I've also gone through substance addiction and dealt with it, I, you know, I could really, I, I, I commend her for taking that and finding a way to, uh, speak publicly about it and, um, mm-hmm. and to really make it her purpose. Yeah, for sure. And it's so brave to talk about your trauma and your and then subsequent addiction from that. And then seeing where she's at now really as this this major game changer in wellness, 
leading the charge of Whole30 of just people getting back to real food. But her conversation that I love, the part of the conversation that I loved probably the most was one's relationship with food, Mm -hmm. food freedom, uh, and what that looks like. And this concept of someone that that did struggle with addiction and how you balance that relationship with food or your relationship with fitness and exercise and Mm -hmm. finding that healthy balance is so important and such an important conversation to talk about with the rise of things like orthorexia and exercise addiction i think can uh it's it's really great that we're putting this out there absolutely and just her willingness to be vulnerable i think takes a lot of courage and a lot of strength so i was i was really grateful for this conversation Got a question you'd like us to answer? The Goop team is keeping a running list for us, so just hit them up at Goop on Instagram or Facebook. At the end of every episode, we'll be answering a question from one of you guys. If you have a question about us or about men and wellness or really anything else is on your mind, just let us know. As a functional medicine practitioner, it's been fun seeing the questions that have already come in on different food philosophies and ways to approach health and well-being. And I love to talk about food and cooking and, well, reality is anything. I just love to talk. So send your questions over to the Goop team on Instagram or Facebook. As Goop likes to say, nothing is off limits. So we're going to wrap out with one question from you guys. And this question is, what therapies do you feel should be more mainstream? Um, Wow, that's a huge question. And there's so many incredible therapies, whether we're talking about physical uh, modalities, uh, things like dry needling, which I think is a pretty amazing um, uh, therapy. It's similar to acupuncture, but it involves moving the needle in and out and stimulating the both the, the musculature and the nervous system um, for people that are either athletes or dealing with, um, I know for me when I was living with rheumatoid arthritis and I was really, really stiff, dry needling definitely helped me loosen up a lot of that stiffness. Or other therapies like more traditional talk therapy, you know, I think that across the board, it's an interesting word, therapy. I'd be curious to know what the definition, the etymology of the word is, but um, the idea of any sort of modality that helps you be a better version of yourself, they all should be more mainstream. I don't even know where to jump in. It's so broad. What do you mm-hmm. think? Yeah, a f- fecal transplant oh, came go. to my mind. <laughs> Let's jump in with poop. Where else? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Not fecal <laughs> transplants. Even though it, it can help people with autoimmunity, but let's talk a little bit more mainstream. I think that uh, saunas can be one thing that maybe not enough people are sweating enough, and I think that saunas can be a good thing, or just run and sweat and Do you move. think, so saunas, I got to ask you this because this is a question I always wonder. Do you think there's a difference between an infrared sauna and doing a traditional radiant heat sauna? I think the biggest thing for me is the sweating more mm-hmm. than anything, but the the light, infrared light, also can have some uh, benefits as far as muscles are concerned too. But the biggest uh, takeaway for these different uh, saunas and the different technologies of them is the sweating part. But yeah, I think that those things, acupuncture is another one too, that I wish it was more mainstream. Mm-hmm. And meditation, I think, is one thing oh, too. That's an easy one that, that everyone can do on their own. Yeah, exactly. Fantastic. That's it for today. Thanks for hanging out with us. Will and I would love to know what you think about Goop Fellas. If you have a chance, please rate and review the podcast here. And if you like what you're hearing, hit subscribe and pass it along to a friend. To see more, head to goop.com slash goopfellas. And we hope you'll be here again next Wednesday. Talk soon.